Escape from Plan A. In a sense, you've already answered it. You did have communications with the Russians last year, isn't that right? Repeat that. You did have communications with the Russians last year, isn't that right? Just a yes or no. I had a meeting with the Russian master, yes. That's exactly the opposite answer you gave under oath to the U.S. Senate. Again, either you're lying to the U.S. Senate or you're lying to the U.S. House of Representatives. Well, time of the, the, time, the time of the gentleman has expired. The witness can answer any further if he chooses to. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the launch episode of the Escape from Plan A podcast. This is our origin story about how Plan A magazine came to be and how we all got involved in the project. This is a larger podcast than usual, so after this, we'll usually pod with just two or three people. I am Eliza Romero, and my co-host for tonight is Oxford Condo. Uh, thanks a lot, Eliza. So Plan A, uh, the whole reason we wanted to start this is we felt there was a real lack of uh, some kind of publication and online space that for Asian Americans that wasn't say devoted to fashion or gossip or things like that somewhere where okay we don't want to pass ourselves off as you know intellectuals or anything but it's some kind of higher level of, of discussion and especially after the Trump election I think that's what brought a lot of us together but to talk more about that we'll we'll talk with two of the guys who kind of got this thing started uh Philip and Mark yeah so I guess uh the initial like idea started in a conversation I had with Mark um, in one of the the Asian male slacks um, where we talked about exactly what you described Oxford right this kind of like we I don't know how we got to the topic of magazines but we talked about like different platforms where Asian voices were being heard we talked about you know obviously like Reddit and Facebook groups um, various blogs that are out there of different levels of quality different topics um, but in terms of magazines, we actually were talking, I think, first about print magazines, right? We Mark? were, because there are a lot of, you know, print magazines out there of an Asian flavor that we didn't feel really hit the spot for us, didn't have the right tone or content. Yeah, we, we found a lot of them were like about... We'll not name names, but... No. Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, we found that they had either like a lot to do with just like straight up personal stories, or like you said, Oxford, like a lot about fashion or, or media, not so much about like politics or kind of deep identity issues. Um, if they were about identity issues, or they're often about, um, you know, just like these personal stories that were very basic, right? Like they follow the same kind of tropes about like, oh, I was a kid who like, you know, had like had a hard time in school, had parents who were like really strict, or that's the same kind of tropes you hear in stories about Asian Americans, um, you know, all the time. And so we were wondering, like, what if like, was it possible for us to kind of come together, bring together a group of people who, and we knew we had a bit of a network here, um, who who would have the, you know, ability to to write better stories, write better articles, and and uh, get more into the meat of um, the Asian American experience. Yeah, that was that was pretty much it. Yeah, and, and Teen was kind of like the, the gravitational pull that pulled a lot of people together. So Teen, why don't you talk about how how that happened. All right. First of all, I want to clarify what Philip means by Asian male slacks, <laughs> because it sounded like you two were in one together. And if you don't know what a slack is, uh, when you say Asian male slacks, it sounds like you two were wearing the same pair. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's not what you mean, right? So I think the I think the origin of this definitely stemmed from I think a, I think the real gravitational pull was really Reddit. And then out of Reddit and all the all the conversations that were going on in there, which are anonymous and therefore like really emotionally raw to, you know, the, the kind of things that you won't see really anywhere else. You know, out of that, you start seeing some really like mind. I don't want to say like minded, but very smart, intelligent, 
articulate people in there that you could tell were kind of in there for the same reason. They were looking for um, a place to to bounce ideas around and to and to talk about stuff, topics, politics, you know, gender, racial politics, national policies, all that stuff. And um, I don't know. Eventually, I just found myself in this role um, where I was, you know, starting to connect people together and trying to pull them into these slacks, which are these sort of like private chat chat rooms that you could sort of pull people out of the wilderness of of Reddit into. Um, and a bunch of us would just pull people into these into these slacks, and then uh, over time, I started hearing from a lot of you, you guys and girls, that people wanted to that wanted to do something a little bit more formal. Yeah, so it was John who kind of sent out the I message. I think invited me to one of the slacks, and that's how I got talking to you, Teen. And then we found out we were living in the same city, so eventually we met up for a drink, and then. And then this happened. Yeah, there's a real like Morpheus quality to Reddit, you know, like you just you're in there scanning for people because like a lot of it's noise, but a lot of it's going to be really like minded, like minded people that just, I don't know. I just felt like there was a lot of stuff that people wanted to say, but they didn't they didn't really have a space to say it in, you know, and the level of discussion about the topics that I think really people really did care about. You just you like I was just like, you know, people are right. There's like nowhere that you can find this stuff being talked about or written about or anything like that. Even though there are a lot of, you know, there there are a lot of Asian American publications out there. Uh, you're right, um, Philip and Mark. I think you guys are on the spot. Like, they do fall into tropes, and you see the same one being launched over and over again. And I think the reason they get like that is because they did not have the strength of a founding team that was really having conversations for the sake of conversations that would get into the topics. Um, as real and as deep as we would find. And and really, I think the magazine was an afterthought in the sense that we were like, you know, we should capture all the conversations that we're having. Also, a lot of those uh, publications, I'm assuming, were probably started before Trump's election, which I think is the big impetus that drove us all to this. Because I'd been involved in Reddit for a couple of years, uh, mostly posting in the Asian American subreddit. And I did it for a couple of years, and it was good just to, you know, articulate of the feelings and thoughts I've had for a long time. But after a while, you realize you kind of uh, you're kind of at a dead end. You're saying the same things over and over again. There are these new people who come in, so you you teach them the 101 and everything. And then I kind of dropped out for maybe a year because I thought, okay, I've gone as far as I can go. Uh, but then then Trump wins, and then you realize, yeah. You've been online. Oh, yeah. Oxford, you've been online the longest, I feel, in terms of like looking for yeah. Asian-American conversations online. And then I think at some point you had told me just sort of offhand that you thought Reddit was sort of the mother load. Which I was surprised at, but I guess you really feel that way? Yeah, because, okay, I'll just give a quick history of how it all started. So uh, it started when I was in high school. Now, I think a lot of Asian American kids are going to know this website. It's called College Confidential. It's a forum where you can go and just learn about how to apply to colleges. And it's like, oh, are my stats good enough? Anyway, um, there were always, because there's a lot of Asian kids there in the kind of off-topic forums, there would eventually be kind of like social stuff they would talk about. And... And one of the things that was topic was actually like, why do we see so many Asian girls and white guys? <laughs> um, and then I remember this user. I even remember the her. topic. The topic. It starts. <laughs> it always it, starts. It shows there, up it? right in the freaking beginning. Jesus. Um, I even remember her handle. It was punky with like two eyes and three e's or something. Uh, she was like proto Reddit. She Jesus. was. Uh, she was like Vietnamese American, and for some reason she said like, I don't date. I'll never date Asian guys because I had like a sexist uncle or something and like we we and others got into this big debate and that was kind of like the start of it all and then from then on 
um, there would be these various uh, Asian American forums that would spring up and then kind of die with with whoever the core users uh, were. And sometimes you had to go to totally secondary subs, like for example, like a like a K-pop forum. At least there were Asians there and Asian Americans. And then if you go into the kind of off-topic forums, you might discuss it. But Reddit was where you had so many users all together. They weren't going anywhere, and if they went, more would come in because Reddit is so big. And yeah, that was that was when I felt okay. This seems like some kind of epicenter, as opposed to these more transient. I, I have spaces. a I have a long. This is John here. I, I've been involved in online communities pretty. I mean, as as soon as I got the internet, uh, whether that's AOL chat rooms, uh, AOL. I was hanging out on IRC. <laughs> yeah, old school. I was hanging out on IRC, which is basically the uh, the predecessor to <laughs> Slack. Yeah, I've been in actually. Now that I think about quite a few online communities for various hobbies I was in, interested in, uh, but none related specifically to Asian Americans. I don't think they're really, yeah, they're, I, I didn't find any easily, to be honest. I know that I've stumbled onto a couple, but there just wasn't a lot of activity, not a lot of things that were interesting to me at the time. And also to be fair, when I was younger, I was not nearly as interested uh, in any kind of Asian American identity. So I think part of it is a self-selection and being interested in it now, uh, at my age. I could tell your, your online manners are superb. Oh yeah. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who have been online for longer, I find that, um, you know, on the slacks and stuff, you guys are definitely the most, um, the most civilized. And for those have not Mm -hmm. been a long time. It's a low bar, man. It's a really low bar. We start, we start (laughs) acting like, yeah. Now, Eliza, I don't think any of us had such a explosive start to our kind of like online presence like you did. Maybe you can explain kind of how, <laughs> how what happened. I guess, was it this year? What? It was. It was in April. It was in April. Yeah. So I wrote a blog post called "Dear Asian Women, I'm Calling You Out for This One," which, like Oxford said, exploded. And uh, the next morning, I woke up and I had about a thousand notifications on Facebook. I had an email from somebody on Jimmy Fallon's writing team. Wow. I got somebody from Good Morning America also contacted me. Uh, uh, Perhaps you can tell us just quickly what that article was about in case people... Uh, So the article was basically, I was calling out Asian women in white man, Asian woman relationships and asking them to question themselves about why they were in those relationships and if they were the kinds of women that said that they don't date Asian guys and if so why was that and then I also called out the ones that were constantly yelling online about white guys having yellow fever when a lot of these women that were screaming and accusing white men of having yellow fever were exactly the kinds of women that only date white guys so when I wrote that, that just, uh, I think it hit. it hit. It hit Reddit like a white man, Asian woman neutron bomb. <laughs> right now it's at 150,000 clicks. Nice. And remember, that was around the time that the Lily Mae Mac thing happened, right? It was, it was before like it before, actually. Slightly after. Yep. It was about, it was about a week before it. Oh, wow. It was like a, like a double punch from Mike Tyson back in the day or something. Like total, <laughs> total knockout. And in fact, that's that's how you and Teen met, right? It was. Um, so, like I said, I was getting emails from like a person from Jimmy Fallon's writing team and a producer for Good Morning America. But it was actually Teen's email where he invited me to do a podcast with him that um, 
that's the invitation that I accepted and that's the email that I wrote back to. If you've ever written teens writing, he can get pretty formal and that's pretty much how his email was. It was wordy and it was for very formal, but in the middle of it, he starts talking about Neil Brennan's stand-up show and he calls him an aspiring black guy, which for some reason... For some reason, I thought that was hilarious because it didn't match the tone of the rest of his email. <laughs> and then he also said that he went to University of Maryland. And uh, when he told me where he grew up, we grew up not far from each other. So after we recorded that podcast together, we kept up an email friendship. And then he reached out to me about being an editor for Plan A. And that's how I got involved. Um, this is Philip here. You know, it's actually kind of crazy is that that's actually how I got deeper into the whole Reddit space and then eventually into the Slack was that I had been lurking on uh, Our Asian Mask for some time and I got kind of sick of it because of all the infighting and like all the like really toxic guys who were very vocal. Mm -hmm. And I, I left, I, I left, I didn't read anymore, I didn't post anymore. Um, I think like early, like at the beginning of this year. And I kept listening to the pod, though, because the, the pod was really good, the uh, uh, TFML That's pod. That's what I'm talking about. And it was your episode, Eliza, oh, that made okay. me actually come back to Reddit and reach out immediately to Teen because I knew there was this Slack thing going on and say, how do I get in? That was a good pod, right? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a really good pod. And Philip, I, I think you have like an interesting story, right, about kind of like what made you go into the, like the Reddit, Asian Reddit space in the first place, like kind of like an awakening. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of interesting because we, we talk about how like everybody has an awakening moment um, for when they start to like feel these issues. Um, mine was kind of a, a strange thing that happened um, at a, a work event um, just several years back. I used to work at Google and uh, we went on this work retreat to the Dominican Republic. And um, it was cool because you could like bring your, your partner, your girlfriend, whatever with you. So I brought my girlfriend with me. And, um, you know, we had we had this dinner together, a bunch of us, um, me and some a couple of friends of mine, um, uh, both both guys, engineers at, at Google. And they had brought their respective uh, girlfriends with them as well. And um, one of the guys, uh, my friend, he, he brought his girlfriend uh, who I've never met before. And, you know, she was very talkative. So over dinner, after a bit of wine. She was telling us about like her friend back home in uh, I think the, the Toronto area, um, who was this Asian woman who uh, had a very interesting request for her. She asked um, her to basically like, oh, you're you're dating this guy from Google. Can you set up a dinner party where I can meet all these like his coworkers, like his specifically white coworkers? Like, don't bring Asian guys mm. um, because I want to date specifically a white guy who works at Google. <laughs> and and so this like when I heard this, I I was just like floored. I didn't even like know how to react to that. I was just kind of like <laughs> shocked and didn't say anything. Um but it became a big fight because my my girlfriend actually um <laughs> responded by saying that's really stupid. Like what a weird specific, you know, thing. And then they got in this huge fight that made the rest of the trip super awkward <laughs> between the three couples. Um, and I, I didn't really think about it for a while, but it kind of sat with me and eventually I kind of thought back to it and thought like, man, like why, like this, this is something I've heard before. Like I've definitely have heard about, you know, Asian women who don't date Asian guys and I wasn't really sure why. And I think, you know, th this is years back, but, um, sometime later on when I, when I, uh, was kind of going through, you know, personal identity issues, things like this came up, like things that like this that made me feel kind of devalued or, or less, you know, less attractive, less human, uh, than 
other people that maybe kind of reach out and try to find kind of a forum to speak about these things or talk or hear others talk about this, this thing. And, and so for me, that was my kind of initial foray into Reddit before um, rejoining after the, the Eliza podcast was uh, I, I knew Reddit was a space for like niche conversations. So I knew like for sure there's got to be some kind of like, you know, Asian conversation space on here. And, and immediately I, after a few Google searches, I could find, um, you know, uh, our Asian American, our Asian mask and so on. What, what so, was it about the podcast, yeah. man? About yeah. the specific one with the live. Yeah, I mean, what, what about the podcast, the podcast brought you back? Because you said you um, kind of left the the slacks, uh, the, the 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 subs. Well, I you know I always I always kept listening to the TFML podcast because despite all the kind of like stupid craziness that goes on in our Asian mask, where there's like tons of really terrible guys who are like you know red pill level, um, the podcast was always very measured and centered and intellectual, and I I like really enjoyed listening to it like. Even the ones where it's just like, you know, Al ranting a whole lot, it's always very fascinating. Um, but the the Liza one was brought me back because it made me realize that like, like these touchy subjects like WMAF, um, whatever, there's, there's still a space to talk about them. And I suspected that it was happening somewhere deeper than just Reddit, where it's a lot of like, you know, toxic back and forth. And I suspect it was probably the Slack that you guys were alluding to in the podcast. That's why I reached out about the Slacks at that point. And isn't Reddit how, uh, Jess, you came into um, the picture? Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine um, reached out uh, to me. She had just uh, wandered into, I think that was probably our Asian American, the, the big portal. Um, and then she had kind of followed along. And then uh, she was being floored by... Uh, the level of anger in some of these discussions. Uh, and she wasn't sure where, uh, what she was looking at. So she wanted, uh, she wanted me to take a look and see what, what I thought. We both grew up, uh, I'm from Los Angeles, California, and I grew up in a really heavily Asian enclave. So a lot of this was, uh, surprisingly new, um, despite having grown up in a really heavily Asian area. Um, there was a huge disconnect in that level of emotion. Um, that I was seeing online and in uh, what I was seeing in my in my regular day to day life, so it was a little hard to reconcile. Yeah, I actually think if you grow up in a heavily Asian area, you will be shielded from a lot of that stuff. You have to be in a place where your your group, I guess the Asian group, is not so uh, so common and everywhere that that it, you can be insulated. Yeah, and the the funny thing about that is. Um, uh, you know, eventually I would circle back with other people that I knew, people I'd gone to high school with, people I grew up with, basically, uh, and started talking through this. And a lot of it was actually, it was good conversation, but it also struck me that this was all stuff that we weren't saying to each other. So it seemed to, it seemed to resonate for a lot of people, certain topics, and certain topics, like, this was new to everyone. Um, but on certain others, uh, like, this, apparently we were all thinking and feeling this, and no one had thought to like articulate that or or even you know talk, try to talk about that within the friend group so that was a that was interesting to me too yeah i i found it uh, so hard to talk about a lot of this stuff until like very recently and i think part of that is because joining like plan a you realize you can talk about this in real life not just behind a keyboard under a fake handle and stuff uh because you know i had lots of asian friends growing up but we rarely talked about a lot of this stuff especially when it comes more to the the gender-based issues because it's so it's such like a forbidden topic for us 
Yeah, I don't know if it's just forbidden either. I think a lot of it has to do with a lack of familiarity uh, or, or I should say kind of concepts that we can use a framework to discuss these phenomenon and our experiences within. I think uh, since uh, joining Reddit or at least, you know, joining the Asian American spaces on Reddit, uh, certainly in the Slack, having these discussions, uh, listening to the podcast, it's all given me a much larger vocabulary with which to describe my experience. And I think that is something that's really crucial for a lot of people because when I, you know, I encourage everybody to, to discuss these ideas without any sense of convincing somebody or proving you're right or wrong, just have these conversations so that people, one, know that they're not the only one that's noticing or thinking about these things or experiencing these things. Yeah, definitely. And two, to share that vocabulary, right? Uh, You have to give them the ideas and the language to be able to talk about these issues for themselves. And then they can reach their own conclusion from that. I think you're right on the money on that one. Yeah, Mark, uh, you, you bring an interesting perspective to this because you're an adoptee. So like, how did you get involved in, in all this? Because you have a kind of like a different background than us. Sure. Um, thanks, Oxford. Um, I just want to also uh, reiterate that I, I agree, John, that sort of having a template or an example um, to talk about a lot of these issues is really important. And I think hopefully for plan A, not that we're like role models or anything, but it's that's one of the goals I think that um, I have at least being on the pod uh, and, and talking about it uh, in terms of like, you know, my relationship to, you know, being Asian American, um, as Oxford said, I I'm adopted, you know, raised by white parents, uh, you know, grew up on the East coast, uh, you know, really white environments. And it wasn't until I think college, I really got into um, sort of my Korean identity and, um, you know, over time, I, I gravitated online as as we do, uh, and um, you know, I got involved with moderating some of the Asian subreddits, uh, and uh, off and on, uh, and seeing how that evolved, uh, and it, it it was just very interesting to see all the ideas and how they evolved over time, and um, starting the Slack and sort of doing it in real time um, really helps to hone these ideas as well. Uh, and then you just you you get to see who's like-minded and who's sort of looking to do something more because I think that's always something that I've, I've thought about. Uh, and you know, I, I was just lucky to find all you guys <laughs> and have Teen do a lot of of the work as well. And um, yeah, Tina's crossed the country to to you know meet some people. I was gonna say, man, it wasn't luck. I mean, yes, certainly there's luck. We are all fortunate to have met each other. <laughs> but I mean, what what I mean to say is that a large part of this was made possible because you helped create a space where these discussions could be held. I appreciate and, yeah, that. I mean, honestly, like even, I mean, you know, you know full well how much discussion there is and it's so valuable in the lives of people that are in it. It's advanced so much, uh, uh, so many of our ideas. I you Don't sell that short. Oh, no, definitely not. And I say lucky because, you know, I, I feel that way. But yeah, I mean, it's not all chance but um you know (laughs) we all bring you know amazing unique talents to the table um teen just talks a lot uh, (laughs) (laughs) just joking buddy um but you know that's it i'm not i'm not talking about this podcast go on you you can get get on without me is that all i have to do 
<laughs> but you know, but I just you know, I, you know, I I really love the fact you know, like Philip and I were talking about doing that like early on, like could we do a magazine or something? And I think the online space is definitely the right place to start. And you know, podcasts are you know a great medium for us and for I think Asian Americans. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe down the line we'll do something. You know. Mm-hmm. We'll do some videos as well, and and and, and it'll, it'll evolve, and we'll see how it goes. But it's just important to try, and I think that's you need. We need to put our ideas out there, uh, and we need to. We can't wait to have the voice sort of given to us, a platform given to us. Uh, we need to take it and build it. We have a pretty uh, large, a diverse geographical. Um, I don't know how to put it. Collection. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we're all over the place, and and, and so. We've got- We've got a guy in Texas. And Canada. A geo spread. I mean, we could get some Brits and Aussies on here. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's not yeah, barely like international. I think they rely on us a little bit. You'd be surprised, Ben, because the Asians over in the UK are scared shitless. <laughs> They're fucking scared shitless over there. Remember, they call them Orientals over there, so. Orientals. Yeah. To, to distinguish you from Indian Asians. I swear to God, living as a Asian Asian in uh, UK sounds like just like living a clockwork orange every day. It sounds frightening. I'm not lying. It's fucking insane. That was one of the things I did love about th- that was one of the things I did love about Reddit was that it was truly diasporic. I guess uh, I didn't think that I would ever have to like fall back to using that weird word, but it's true. Like, um, it's it's Asian people from like all over the planet. I mean, there's even, like, Asians from Asia who moved back to Asia after living in Australia or the UK or Canada or whatever. Um, and you cannot make any, you can't make these, uh, you know, you know, American, US-centric type assumptions about what Asian identity is, um, you know, outside of, outside of our homelands, you know. Um, and I found that to be really mind-expanding. And I think there are aspects to, to, to the online spaces that are really mind-expanding. Um, which is why I think like, you know, there's, I, for me, you know, I think we end up spending a lot of time online more so than is probably recommended by like a medical doctor. You know what I mean? Like they'll probably be like, you should probably go get some sun, you know, Wait, are you talking about so us or Asian Americans in general and anyone on Reddit? I mean us for, for sure. You know? Yeah. Like Does I'm Slack having count as online. Yeah, yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> yes, it does count on, as online. Because I don't spend that much time on Reddit anymore. But Yeah, no, it does. But I mean, I think like um, we, you know, we were doing it was funny because we were doing these pods um, with, uh, with with this guy that was from um, he was like associated with the with the DNC, Varun Nikor. And this was like during the election. And see, I had gotten into I'm a little bit I think I'm older than all of you. And so I didn't really come to Reddit out of any sense of like identity search or anything like that because I was pretty much like an old man by that point. I'm 39, but like, um, I had you know I had I had I was on Reddit for like seven years and I came back because I was really I was really kind of focused on what was going on in the election with Trump and all that. And over time, I was just got kind of got sucked back into the conversation and and things just and it went beyond politics. It was other things and stuff. But we started talking to this guy Varun Nikor, and I remember I kept telling him I was like, you know, you you, you know, we're, we're having these talks about what Asian American politics means to you as as someone, but I'm seeing a totally different set of priorities online, 
And at that time, R the Donald was something that we were already starting to pay attention to and stuff like that. And after the election, everyone was freaking out. And, and it, was, it was surprising because, like, you know, the people online and the people that I was doing the pod with were not that surprised, not that shocked about what happened. And I've, I followed up with Varun and I was like, you know, what they're saying in the TV and stuff is, is true. Like, what's happening online matters more than what's happening in the, quote, real world. You know, online is real now. Um, and so it, 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 it started changing. I mean, I think last year and this year started changing my conception of what reality is. That's kind of a scary thing to say, but I mean, it's true. Like online is, is a place where things seem to actually matter a little bit more for better or for worse than, than what's happening in, you know, our, our meat space lives. And so I do find myself spending a lot more time online these days, but that's, you know, I, I, you always do wonder, is this escaping? Is this escapism or whatever? I mean, sure, to some degree it is, but I do think that it's not so easy to call online escapism anymore just because of the the real world social importance and political importance of what happens. I think that people there. are so, still stuck in this in this way of thinking where um, they view social media as like entertainment, like it's television instead of real conversations with real people that are making real impact. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. They, they think about it as like a optional part of your life, right? It's like mm-hmm. entertainment or it's something that is right, just like a, um, <laughs> uh, an accessory, not, not like your house. It does. Mm-hmm. It, sways, it sways history now. I mean, without, without, you don't even have to get really that um, grandiose about it. I mean, that's what we know, you know, so... I, I totally agree. And I think, and I do think also that like social media in a way is right. It's still, I know people like there's a, there's, I think there's a popular conception that people should hate social media. And I think we're kind of taught that to some extent. And it's not like, we you are, know, we are taught that, that we're not supposed to put too much thought or care into social media because it's like, it's all fake anyway. And like, who cares what someone says about so-and-so on on like Facebook or Twitter, but it, it, it does matter. You know, people's careers have been destroyed by stuff that they've said on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. Yeah. yeah. Or people's careers have been made. And people's careers have yeah. been made. Right. And government governments have been brought down and, and come into power through social media. And, and I do think that they, like Liza, I, we've talked about this. It's interesting because we come at it from two sides. Like you've, you've, uh, you have one experience with the the online world. I had a very different one, and then we kind of met through this podcast. But I mean, I, co- I come to this exact same conclusion, which is I, I do think that there is a concerted effort um, to to kind of tell us like, you know, these social media spaces are not valuable spaces. They're corrupt spaces. They're no good. You know, they're just spying on you. Look, it's true. I know. I get it. I, I know Facebook is tracking my fucking every move. So you know, they can make money off advertising to me or whatever. But like, what else do we have at the end of the day? Like for just regular people to reach out to other regular people to talk about shit that matters, you know, like, yeah, it sure is. Would be nice if we all went down to the, you know, to the, to the ANP or the the, bar where everybody knows your name. Did we talk about it in the Slack? Cause I can't, I can't remember where I heard this, but, and it might've been our Slack or it could have been somewhere else. Um, but somebody mentioned that social media means more now than ever because people were always online, but there were thousands of websites. People people talked to each other on thousands of different websites before. And now everyone talks to each other 
in like the same four online spaces. Kind of like Reddit, yeah. So um, it's there's two things. It one is uh, as you were saying, Liza, that yeah, it's it, we're able to connect uh, a bunch of people to get a far greater number of people than ever possible before, more than you could fit in any stadium, bar, airport, what have you. Um, but it's also the speed. So I see two things like social media. There's a consuming, there's a consumer aspect where you're simply just looking at pictures and videos and things like that. But there's also an, a communication component to it. And that's what's so valuable. Yeah. The ability to basically hear about something the moment somebody posts it is incredible. And if you are not engaging in these, in these online sources, then you're always going to be behind mm -hmm. the curve. Yeah, and speaking of being behind the curve, I think we would all agree that the Asian American community, Asian American community, is behind the curve in terms of just developing kind of got a sense of who we are, or, or even a sense of commonality. I and mean, we all know, uh, you know, growing up, maybe ourselves or other people we know, we kind of like avoid other Asians. We don't want to be seen mm -hmm. as Asian. And this is finally. I have a theory about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, please share. Yeah. I think that. A lot of us are 2G, right? We're second generation. And a lot of us were born either in somewhere in the 80s. I mean, most of us in this particular conversation are born somewhere in the 80s. And we were... Late 70s. What? Late 70s for me. So Gen X gone. We were so close. <laughs> we were so close to that immigration wave of... Uh, of of Asians coming of educated Asians coming into the country, so there were actually like more fobs, you know, than there were Asian Americans. So I think that a lot of us tried to run away from that. Um, yeah. I mean, there still identity. are like two thirds of of Asian Americans are still foreign born. There's yeah. still a lot of fobs, but there's also enough Asian Americans that the younger generations. I don't think that they feel. I don't really think that they have that struggle as much as we do. Yeah. I don't think that they run away from their Asian-ness the same way that we did when we were younger. It's like if you were Asian when we were growing up, you were automatically labeled a fob if you did anything Asian-y. And we took that as an know? insult back then, whereas now we might not. So your only choice was to just assimilate, which is either you, you know, either you fit into a white dominant culture or you go towards like black culture and hip hop. Yeah, I think there's also a very strong social pressure. I, at least in my experience, you could just be hanging out with one, with your one other Asian friend and somebody will crack a joke or say something about like, oh, the two Asians found each other. And yeah, it, yeah, it's just all the time. Are you guys related? All the time. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's just another part of it. I don't, that's never discouraged me. I'll, 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 I'll be honest though. I think like we, I hear a lot of that. I hear a lot of people say that, that, you know, their, their Asian American, their Asian identity growing up in America was formed by these experiences of exclusion and marginalization. No, I'm not suggesting like that. that it's like the, uh, a strong enough factor that that by itself, but I think it's uh, an indication of the type of social pressures we do experience and how all those cumulatively can push somebody in that direction. It could be, it could be, but I think the, I mean, I'm sure it is, but I think that the assumption, here's what I'm saying is that I, I did not grow up like that. You know, like I, I, I never felt marginalized. I mean, I didn't grow up in like a, like a Asian Supreme enclave or anything, but I, I grew up in a very diverse area outside DC where everybody was something different, you know? 
And I did not, I never felt really that, that being Asian was a liability or, 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 or something that marginal, like it wasn't something that burdened right. me, you know? And I, and I hear most people did not grow up the way I did that. A lot of people that go online looking for stuff were in some way burdened with that. And I think the unfortunate thing for people that do grow up burdened with that is this feeling like that's all it is. And that if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't be aware of it. And so there's this, I think this may be this concept that people grow up in like, you know, a super Asian enclave, just, I know you did, you know, like that there's a, there's maybe a lack of aware, like consciousness about the, you know, you just, but I mean, I didn't grow up in that, but I would say that for me, uh, issues of the idea of your Asian American consciousness, um, to me was never defined by, uh, it, marginalization, not to say that it can't be, but that it doesn't have to be. Um, it doesn't take someone, uh, it is not something that I'm saying has to be defined by just experiences of negativity and burden, though, so, though sure. a lot of I it is. I accept that. I'm not saying that it was. I'm just saying that I, I think that there, I think every single one of us born in a certain era definitely has thought about this a lot more than, say, probably someone who was born in like the late 90s, you know? I mean, I guess what I, for me, what it was was kind of like, I always just kind of felt like America just felt a little bit uh, behind. Um, uh, Jess, you re- you remember what you said about growing up in in uh, the six two six and uh, like you actually felt sorry for white people growing up. <laughs> I mean, the only divorced people I knew were white. I remember we did volunteer work. Um, yeah, and we did volunteer work and uh like at a trailer home and they were all white or Hispanic. And I'm not saying this is good or bad, it's just in retrospect looking back on that if they're all one particular race, you tend to kind of have your impression of that race shaped by that. And you know, media rep Same. cuts both ways. Yeah. I grew up with really gritty images of horrible white people. Right? Uh-huh. So overall it's like, wow, they're they're messed up. <laughs> So, and, and growing up, I mean, every, it, most of the white people I came across, there was an element of uh, respect accorded to being Asian um, that I really haven't seen elsewhere either. Um, it, it just took this particular really high density of, um, of Asian-ness to kind of pull the cultural needle in that direction. That's the great thing about, you know, the group of people we have is that not, not only, I think, are we ge- geographically diverse, but... Um, we have different sort of experiences growing up in either an enclave or like, like, like Jess did, uh, teen, not really in an enclave, but, you know, not in a totally whitewashed area. Um, and we have everyone in between, right? And, that, and we have myself, uh, who is an adoptee, you know, looks Asian and grew up with white people, right? I mean, I can still remember the first time someone threw the go back to China thing at me. And I remember being so confused. <laughs> right. Yeah, because you're like, I'm not. <laughs> like, like, hey, you know, yeah, one thing, so yeah, I'm levels. Korean, so whatever. Uh, but on the other level, like, okay, why why would I go back to, well, what's wrong with China? Like, why wouldn't I go back if I, go back? What are you talking about? Come back here. Tell me, well, tell me what you meant by this. Like, I remember that's, just that's that feeling of confusion. <laughs> like, I did not get it. I'm, I'm guessing most people spend some time in Asia, right? You mean among yeah, us this, here? Um, that was very formative. 
that was very formative for me in that like I would go back to Taiwan uh, quite frequently, like when I was young, and like I would spend most of the summer there. And I think it was like those kind of experiences that, for me, um, it, I really, I really did not f- have this feeling of like Asian inferiority. I had the opposite problem, and I and I suspect actually that a lot of people do, but they don't. They have not had the. I, I feel like a lot of people actually do feel this way, but like you said, you know, like. Um, uh John you were saying like you know we need the uh the vocabulary and language to express these things um that you know it definitely what for me was a, it was a was a feeling like you know you lose a lot by coming here you're not gaining i didn't feel like when i went back that i was the privileged uh uh sophisticated american cousin or whatever i was the i was the american bumpkin when i went back to taiwan and and they they were the ones that um, you know, at Taiwan at that time was to me like, you know, not just it wasn't like I don't mean it was like advanced, but I'm just like socially and just the way, you know, the, the, the way people interacted with each other and the depth of the traditions and the culture was so much deeper than my daily experience in America. So I always felt sorry for myself, to be honest. Um, so really, it was the American side of me that I felt was the burden, not the Asian side. And and I suspect that actually if, if people were to articulate that more, if I was to push that, for example, push that idea more, I actually think people would be able to relate to that more than they think they could, you know? That's my suspicion anyway, even though it's not often said, which is part of the reason why I think it is important for us to to push out, to push stuff out online just to see what sticks. Um, because I think we're so penned in. We're like, we're pe- like, we don't trust our own experiences because we're penned in by, I think, very tired narratives um, that I never related to. I honestly never related to almost any Asian American, you know, Asian American pearl of wisdom, you know, about identity and trying to bridge two cultures and all this stuff. I just, I never felt it like that. Yeah, I think it would be great if every Asian American could spend like maybe like up to a year at least in Asia. Cause I got to spend a couple of years in Korea after college because my parents had moved back there. And yeah, it's just one of those experiences where your your concept of the world totally changes. And, and and that was a big privilege. A lot of people can't can't do that. So I think, especially with online, it's it's maybe one way to kind of try to bring that here. Cause I remember growing up when we still had to uh, you know, we didn't have internet really. So you had if you want to communicate back home, you had to uh do collect calls, which are really expensive, so you couldn't you, you could only do it for like a little bit, maybe like once every few months or something. I remember you go to your local like Asian grocery store and they'd have bootleg tapes of TV shows that they, you know, recorded on on VH tapes and then shipped them over, uh, you know, kind of like low quality and everything. Whereas now, like you have like I I subscribe to Drama Fever. I pay like a few bucks and I get high quality like every show in Asia ever made. I can I have access to that now, and it's compl- and if if I want to chat with any of my friends there, I just go on Skype video chat. It's just completely amazing yeah i think spending time uh, i had the good fortune to go and visit korea pretty often to see my extended family uh pretty much like once or twice a year until i was 16 or so and so i mean i can understand what you're saying teen where being exposed to a different society on the on that kind of regularity uh, certainly shapes 
the the frames of reference you're operating with, the standards you're comparing things to, and gives you an opportunity to step outside America and see America with a fresh set of eyes. And the things I was saying, at least for me personally, I those pressures, I noticed them. It, they didn't make me ashamed to be Asian or anything like that. Um, but I know that for others, that kind of, some people are very sensitive about social pressure. And unfortunately, they will be, uh, they will feel a, a high motivation to go along with any kind of perceived uh, discouragement. I think, okay, so going forward, like plan A, like what do we want to accomplish with plan A? And I think what we uh, first want to, I think everyone agrees here, what we really need is, whether it's like politics or culture, we need a unique Asian American viewpoint. Because for too long, all we've ever done is just latch on to existing um, narratives or viewpoints, always showing up as, you know, supporting characters saying, yeah, me too, we, we feel the same way. And it's it's boring, It, it nobody takes it seriously, and it doesn't really foster any reason to identify as Asian American because all we are is some like simulation or imitation of somebody else right yeah yeah it's very yeah it's very deprecated it's very derivative and and therefore not as good well there's that and also you said that no one takes it seriously I think that they take it a lot of the Asian American writers when they write about this stuff they they take it too seriously it's not fun to read it sounds like an academic paper that's true too I, I agree it's, it's so incredibly boring. It's either that or they or they focus on sob stories that they know will sell to white audiences who still conceive like these readers are like older. They still conceive of Asia as like a bombed out, like like you eat like one bowl of rice a day kind of country, and and that's kind of what they wanna they wanna read about. So so these get self selected and they become our narrative. And well, privileged people want to be able to step into the shoes of the enlightened, desperate. So that they that they can feel that they've lived a full experience. <laughs> they want to read it, which is why. And they look to immigrants, and they look to non-white people and people from other lands that they imagine to be, you know, hell holes to be like, yo, tell me what it's like to be a real gritty human being, <laughs> a beautiful native culture that you guys plundered and pillaged. Yeah, and they're yeah, they're the right. type of people who who will go to especially like poorer Asian countries, and if they're developing or something they'll be like oh you're yeah. ruining your your beautiful native culture like like your beautiful naval, native culture where everyone's like starving and like going into <laughs> prostitution or something yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> see see that that's that that, that is exactly why we got to do stuff like plan a because i literally cannot have that conversation i will not hear that sentiment being expressed pretty much anywhere else in my life okay people don't get that shit like you know it comes naturally to us i think um, and to a lot of, hopefully, to a lot of Asian Americans if they were to hear it. But until you hear it, you don't really, you know, you don't really have the confidence to go with it, you know? Yeah, and one thing I thought that really puts us at an important axis is, well, with the election that just happened, there's this whole debate about whether, especially on the left, whether we should focus more on, on class or we should form, focus most on social issues. And I think, like, Asian Americans, we're at this uh, unique junction in which we... We do have some, we've, we've built ourselves up to some like level of economic uh, achievement, but we don't have the kind of like social and cultural capital. So we kind of know that class isn't everything. Like you can have money, but there will still be ceilings on you. You will still be excluded for, from certain Agreed. things. So it's like, 
I think with the traditional groups, which are like more like white people and, and black, maybe slash Latinos, they have their experiences, make them focus on those things. And I think we kind of come at an intersection. And that's why our viewpoint is, is needed on in these times. I'd also like to see if there can be an ecosystem of divergent ideas as well. Uh, I mean, the Asian American viewpoint, right? That can't be just one thing. There's going to be disagreement. There's going to be a divergence. I mean, we're, we are a hugely diverse population. Uh, there is no way to get a single viewpoint across. I think the real contribution would be to see if differences can be reconciled to form a cohesive narrative that isn't uh, just one, one narrative that dominates the rest, which these, which these shout fests on Reddit tend to devolve into, trying to distill one, one opinion. Yeah. Do you like what kind of boundaries are you talking about? Do you mean like politically, like maybe like right wing versus left wing Asians, or is it by ethnicity or by gender or like I guess everything? Maybe all of the above. Maybe it's not possible. Maybe the experiment shows that you know we can't, right? But I think it's worth trying. I mean, that's the big pitfall with these giant all in one Asian American hubs online, right? That eventually they become so neutered that they say nothing, and that's trying to create. That's the effort to drill down to the lowest common denominator. And really, the lowest common denominator is going to be that we all like boba. Yeah. yeah, you're talking about like a like a, like a pseudo unity. Yeah. Well, Jess, what I would say, what I've learned online about that, um, which I've learned through slacks, um, you know, the chats, is that there for any given like um, interaction space that there there is there is um it, it can go one of three ways it could it could echo chamber meaning like you just get too many of the same people that think the exact same way and all they end up doing is just reinforcing each other's worst tendencies and then uh the the the, the second option is to you have too much diversity you have too many divergent views and voices where it just turns into either it just goes silent cuz no one it has anyone talked to or it goes into chaos and in, in fighting and so it can either it can either you know it's kind of like one of those dynamic systems like one of them can just sort of like get locked get like locked into this unmovable pattern the other one just goes into fucking chaos but if you can get like a critical diversity somewhere in the middle where it's like not too diverse um but diverse enough and you kind of have it's a, i guess it's a bit of an art to, to figure out how that's going to work then you get productive conversations which i think is the magic reaction you know is once you get people talking rationally and with in good faith and constructively then it's almost like stuff just figures itself out and and the stuff that we say we want to build and 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 reinforce and we want to bring a sense of asian american identity or or asian american community or stuff like i don't think that anybody can go out imagine what that should be and then tell you know sell it like hey here it is i got it what do you guys think this is my version of asian american identity i think that it's a process and what you need to find is these interaction spaces that have critical diversity so that people are not fighting and they're not also just like blowing smoke up each other's ass that's to me the if you can take the magic of like how you can make slack work that way sort of an almost self-perpetuating reaction where you know it, it kind of has its own momentum then so, I think that's the way to do it because everything's happening online. So you got to figure out yeah. 
How yeah, and and I, I might say that like that's you know? definitely part of the the MO and strategy for Plan A as a platform is that we, we do want to bring in a kind of diverse set of viewpoints and put them out there that, um, you know, they're going to be curated by us for for that kind of um, level of quality. Right. So like submissions is definitely a big piece we're going to use to to work towards as well from uh, writers external to just our core team. Yeah, I mean, we are we do have uh, like a. A specific viewpoint though right we're not diverse in that we want like a you know like a trump supporting asian we're not gonna bring them aboard um but well it's it's more like divergent ideas but we're committing to shared principles i I do think that the identity has to be fundamentally a political identity you know meaning that we do have to agree on certain uh political uh convictions like for example you know sexism racism xenophobia homophobia all these things are very negative things that we should fight i don't think that those are things that are worth defending and i think honestly like i you know i don't want an asian american identity that really encompasses those things i don't want an asian american identity that says it allows for it allows for homophobia as an example or sexism yeah i think for me it's like how can we get young people especially to start thinking and talking about these things but in a way that's fun and approachable not not academic sounding articles i mean nobody wants to i mean i certainly would never have wanted to read that growing up and that's probably the reason why i didn't absorb that much asian american literature as a kid is because there was other fun things to read it wasn't it wasn't fun to read that stuff yeah, we're all like clinically depressed if you read the literature. <laughs> well, it's the types of stories that that get pressed too, right? Uh, I mean, we all grew up inundated with immigrant porn, right? And that's the story that got relentlessly pushed over and over again. Yeah, I remember being at like an Asian American business thing like years and years ago, and the keynote speaker stood up there on the podium and, you know, she literally said, you know, what defines us as Asians? And then, you know, my ears perked up like, oh, OK, this ought to be good. I mean, <laughs> and she said, yeah, we 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 value we respect our parents. We work really hard and we know the value of a dollar. <laughs> oh, I'm like, are you fucking kidding oh, me? Like Asian American conferences, Asian American student unions, these are the absolute worst. They have to something has to change. Like they I think just do more to repel Asian Americans from Asianness than yeah, <laughs> anything else. Yeah. The fashion shows. How I love to learn my Asian eyes. I've always liked the misfit growing up. You know, like I think we frame a lot of like you know, our relationship with non-Asian society, white society as like, you know, white society is the establishment. It's the thing that we can't achieve. It's the in-group. Asians are the out-group. We're always the outside, excluded or marginalized. But no, I never, you know, yeah, there is a there is an extent to which being uh, Asian is a, is a form of marginalization. But I thought, I always thought, you know what, that that puts me in touch with other kinds of misfits. You know, and I always enjoyed the misfits, the white misfits, the uh, emo misfits and all that shit. Like, you know, they, they got shit for being whatever the fuck they were. And, and you know, like, like <laughs> I mean, I, I did grow up in a pretty friendly environment. But, yeah, being Asian was a little bit different. You would get shit for whatever. And to me, that was just your uh, ticket into the reject crowd. And the reject crowd to me was always more fun anyway. <laughs> you know, the, that's nah, man. You got the- yeah, well, the problem with being 
when Asian misfit is you you're never with the fun misfits. It's it's like the miserable misfit. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me, man. Not for me. I mean, I was more on like a arts track and stuff when I was younger and uh in high school and shit and I you know, they were they were always the ones that stuck out of Snuck out at night and we're up to do shit. Long hair. Off for doing crazy shit and, you know. Um, Tina, are you trying to say you were cooler than all of us in high school? I was more emo. Yeah. He always had to flip out of his <laughs> eyes. Get is the that fuck what? Out. Oh my god, is there a picture of you in eyeliner? <laughs> I can imagine it. Pictures I can imagine it. Eyeliner. <laughs> eyeliner. Did you have the no, safety pin? No, 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 pin? I never did that shit. I, I, did, I had a Celtic cross and I painted it. Oh god, you had a Celtic cross? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No bangs. <laughs> He still wears black frame glasses. Well, if you were born in 79, you were about in high school in like the mid-90s, right? I graduated high school in 96, yeah. All right. What, what was like the... That's like the grunge... It was like slightly after the grunge era, right? Or the it, was sli- it was after the grunge era, yeah. Like Nirvana for me was... I was still a little young to really catch that... To be in that core group of like the Nirvana followers and shit. But like yeah. Green Day was just coming up, right? I think Green Day was coming up. Um, I mean, hip hop was bigger when I was young, and then there was this whole like, like mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails was big, and there's a lot of industrial shit going on. Yeah, because emo was more, I think, my high school, like early two thousands. Uh, Taking Back Sunday, <laughs> those bands. Okay, so do you guys want to wrap it up? And uh... damn, that was a wide ranging pod. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Escape from Plan A podcast. Be sure to visit planamag.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to Fuck Yeah Fridays, and check out our latest articles and rants. Also, don't forget to smash that subscribe button on iTunes, rate us, and leave us a review.